The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Hey, hey, hey. Is this all the chemical weapons? No, 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 no. I mean, yes, yes. Those are those are the declare chemical. We see all those bottles. These are the ones you're declaring yes, are yes, chemical those weapons. Are chemical weapons. Yes. Those might be. No, that, no, Boson's over there, but no, you're no, not no. declaring those no, no, ones. No, no, no. These are not declared. This is the undeclared. Oh, okay. But you take those, you take that whole box. Uh-huh. Go ahead. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. If this is your first time listening in, I hope you've been looking for that voice that sometimes you wonder, where are those voices of American Islam, American Muslims who are courageous enough, uh, bold enough, honest enough to take on the real problems within the community. And uh, if you've listened before, I hope you, obviously you're not going to agree with everything I say, but uh, hopefully you'll get some hope, a sense of belief that there are some Muslims willing to not only um, take on the challenges before us, but have a sense of positivity that there can be a solution, that we do look at the long term and not just at the short term. Uh, before I get started, I, I do want to wish this week my Jewish friends, supporters, and colleagues a blessed, blessed Holocaust Remembrance Day. This week, the Jewish community, sadly, if you will, every year remembers the over 6 million that gave their lives, gave their grandparents, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their daughters, their families to the, the horrific, horrific events that resulted in the death of over 6 million people. And every year we're reminded and the memories are getting fader are fading away more and more which they should not I would beseech every one of you to go see the Holocaust Museum in Washington and Yad Vashem in Israel I've visited both truly they it will change your life to realize not only the the photos the the horrific stories the courageous the heroic stories of those who gave their lives to protect others, the stories of those who wrote down and chronicled the crimes against humanity, the horrific gassing of people simply because of their faith of Judaism. And the number of years, years, that the world sat back and did nothing while they knew exactly what was happening in Nazi Germany, and in Europe because of the Nazi regime, because of the, the, the virulent, violent war crimes against the Jews. And I can tell you in my work as a Muslim, as an American Muslim, that we're reminded that never again will mean little if we don't first end completely, completely Holocaust denial, which is a form of the deeper disease, the deeper cancer of anti-Semitism. But Holocaust denial is done to propagate conspiracy theories, blame the other and use Jews as a foil of our own condition, of our own pathology within the Muslim community, which is political Islam or Islamism. And secondly, if not more importantly, because that's the root cause of the Holocaust denial, is the pathological anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is a deep cancer that involves not only the Muslim community, but the Arabist, the Arab supremacists like Bashar al-Assad, Saddam Hussein, the dictators, the royal families, and others who may use religion as a tool, but ultimately their cloak is also Arab nationalism. And Arab nationalism, no different than German nationalism to an extreme, is a potent, potent 
fuel for anti-Semitism and then crimes against the Jewish community. So when we talk about never again, and we're going to talk about Syria for most of today's episode, you look at the over 600,000 dead in Syria, the 10 million displaced, and you ask yourself, what is the free world doing to really believe in never again? I'm going to talk in a little bit about the humanitarian element of what's happening in Syria, but at the end of the day, our responsibility to prevent the horrific loss of life that included an unfathomable percentage of the world's Jewish population at the time. And we see now, while Muslims are 1.6 billion and their numbers are, are, are almost a quarter of the world's population, you see the loudest voices against the genocide happening in Syria because of the Assad regime are coming from the Jewish community. Look it up. Just Google genocide Syria and see who are the voices in Washington and around the world in Israel and elsewhere that are talking about the crimes against humanity being done by the Assad regime. Why? Because the Jewish community on this Remembrance Week, Remembrance Day of the Holocaust, and every day of the year has family members that were affected and lost their lives were tortured as a result of the Nazis and they will never forget so as we remember the only democracy in the Middle East Israel and remember their value their friendship their alliance with the United States and with the West we also remembered that Israel was born out of a massive crime against humanity which was the Holocaust and we pray for you I pray for you and I hope Humanity does not ever allow that to ever happen again to any any peoples. And on that note, we look now at the conversation about Syria. And we ask ourselves a number of questions. And I'm going to get later into the program about what was this chemical weapons attack, why it matters, doesn't matter, um, what should be strategy, in the region, what should be American strategy, what should be Western strategy, uh, what do we have at stake, etc., etc. We'll answer those questions. But before we do that, I have to tell you that one of the most frustrating aspects of this, of this entire conversation, is the fact that set aside, you know, listen to all the naysayers about getting militarily involved in Syria. I get it. Not your war. Okay. You want incontrovertible evidence that the chemical weapons attack happened. I get it. You want a return on investment after billions lost in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya. I get it. We can have a conversation. And I really get that moral Americans can should be able to debate both sides of that as to whether America should intervene, as to whether America should be involved in this conflict. But what I don't get, and what I take deep exception to as a human being, and yes, I have more skin in the game than most Americans because I'm a extraction of Syria. I am a byproduct of political refugees from Syria. I have family there. Yes, I am biased about what's happening in Syria, biased because I love humanity, biased because my family fought for freedom and loves America because of that. So call me biased, whatever it is, I really don't care. But at the end of the day, I think every human being, if we're going to have a conversation about Syria and it's going to take 10 minutes, let's say, and in that 10 minutes, we can discuss whether one attack happened. We can discuss strategy. We can discuss return on investment, all the rational issues that get involved. But the one thing I have no patience for is the deference, the deference, the, the marginalization of simply to lip service an acknowledgement that there is not only humanitarian crisis, but that the Assad regime is responsible for the vast majority of the crimes against humanity done in Syria that the Assad regime is using barrel bombs that, that are used to invoke as much death and destruction as possible, that they not only have used chemical weapons, that they have thugs that go door to door and torture children, that this, this revolution started 
when police went and started torturing and imprisoning 13, 14, 15-year-old kids in Dara, small town in Syria. That this revolution didn't just start in November, I'm sorry, in March 2011. It started back in 1963 when the Ba'ath took over. And that National Fascist Party has been oppressing, wiping out, and torturing, and committing crimes against humanity, against any of their opposition. Be they Christian, Muslim, Jewish. Why are there no Jews left in Syria? Why? Because Assad is the protector of minorities? He's an anti-Semitic Arab fascist. And the only Christians protected in Syria are those who tow the Ba'ath Socialist Nationalist Party line. So if you're going to have a conversation, if we're going to discuss Syria, we need to at least, you know, it's interesting. So many of you, and you know who you are when, when I talk about this, including myself, have been I've been very critical of Islamist groups in America, and it reveals their Islamism. Their ideologies revealed the Council on American Islamic Relations and other mosques and Islamist leaderships. You know who they are, but when you ask them to criticize Hamas, they end the criticism saying that they criticize the act of terror, but they won't criticize the organization. And at the end of their sentence, there's a but. We don't like and we think it's a heinous act, a crime against humanity that was done by bombing that bus, by bombing that school, by beheading that group. But American foreign policy, boom, boom, boom. But Israeli, boom, boom, boom. They constantly have the but at the end, which proves that they are Islamists and they may not like the means of Al-Qaeda or Hamas, but they will not name them as terror groups and they will actually want the same ends, which is the defeat of the West, the hate of the West, and the Islamism that comes through it. So, if you are the type that, when called upon to discuss operations against the Assad regime, you end it with, but what if ISIS comes next? But what if so-and-so comes you can't convince me that you're not apologizing, justifying, and legitimizing a corrupt, militant, terror state of a government. And that is no different than what the Islamists do. And yes, both sides of the Syrian equation right now, of, of the most extreme of the fighters in Syria, be it the Syrian military or ISIS, are of the same coin. But most of the crimes committed by helicopter gunships that can deliver these types of barrel bombs and chemical weapons are being done by the Assad regime. ISIS did not exist for the first two years of the revolution. It was a byproduct of, yes, Qatari, Saudi Arabia, and Turkish radicalization. But the primary stimulus was the radicalization of the Syrian people that sought any means necessary because of Assad. doesn't legitimize any of their existence. In fact, the radical Islamists would not exist if we Muslims would actually reform and destroy the Islamist idea and put it into the dustbin of history. So yes, but that's coming from major regimes of Saudi Arabia, Pakistan's Islamic Republic, Iranians' Islamic Republic. But if we're going to have a conversation about Syria, don't be surprised if I have little tolerance for the little five second, oh, I know Assad's a butcher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, he's got a lot of blood on his hands, but boom, boom, let's talk about how much worse it comes next. So therefore, let's leave him in power and we have no role in Syria. Okay, I'll get to the rational part to the argument. We'll have a discussion about what America should do or should not do. I get both sides of the topic and we'll discuss that. But to deny the humanitarian element and give it equal weight to the conversation and acknowledgement that there is a, a catastrophe that is at the hands of the Syrian regime and also at the hands of the radical Islamists of ISIS and Jabhat al-Nusra and Jaysh al-Islam and all these militants. But if you take one side versus the other and you don't equate them, or actually, I believe, note that most of the studies have shown that 80 to 85% of the massacres in Syria being done by the military with the jets and the helicopters and the tanks, etc. You're either dishonest or you're believing the words of fascists. 
and Russian propaganda and Iranian propaganda. This is Zudi Jess. We'll be right back on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Speaking of San Francisco, did you see this kind of an aside? The median house price. Oh, no. $1.6 million. Ugh. To live $1 in $600,000 is the median. Do you want to know the median home price in Dallas? Yeah. $178,000. Doesn't surprise me. And there's more freedom here. Pat Pat Gray. Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We were talking about the humanitarian disaster that is the Syrian war. It's not a civil war. It's a regional war. Don't be fooled. Don't make any mistakes into thinking that this is just a civil war. It's not our fight. It's a war in which the vacuum created by the tyranny of Bashar Assad that then got filled by radical Islamists fueled by Qatar which has fueled Muslim Brotherhood and Sunni radicalization. Sunni radicals that have been radicalized by the Muslim Brotherhood ideology. Saudi Arabia, which fueled Wahhabist ideology that is the founding father's ideology of ISIS. And Turkey, which is similar to the Muslim Brotherhood and believes in Islamizing and creating their caliphate, if you will. So... That's part of the vacuum that got filled. But remember, Assad, and this is the part I I don't understand. When we talk about Syria, they look at him in his suit and tie, say he's westernized and somehow he's a secular leader. And yet, why would a truly secular guy allow his country to become a colony of Iran? Syria, for the last few years of the revolution, and if not the last decade, has been becoming and is now fully unofficially a colony of the Khomeinist regime, the largest sponsor of Islamist terror on the planet. They become a colony of Iran. And Russia and Iran have had a long relationship, so the axis of evil, the triangle of evil of Russia, Iran, and Assad, Syria, is now in control of Syria. So, what just amazes me is that Nobody seems to connect the deep theocracy of Iran to Assad's proclivities. He may claim to have secular law, but yet he allows cultural shifts in his country that has become no different than the most draconian era of Iran, run by the Khomeinists. Hezbollah now continues to line up munitions after munitions, threatening Israel. And Israel has had to strike back and has had to protect its sovereignty from the threat. And this chemical weapons attack that occurred in Duma this week, yes, it did occur. There's proof that it occurred. And we can talk about who the perpetrator is. But the bottom line is, is that's only 40 miles from Israel's border. Weapons of mass destruction are being used more and more. Yes, both sides have used them. There are some evidence that ISIS used it in Mosul, in Iraq, and in a few other circumstances, but the chemical weapons that they used did not have the delivery mechanisms of the attacks that have been done by the Assad regime. And again, this is the facts as any operations specialist in the military would know them to be. And yet we see so many pundits and people talking about things related to Syria, congressmen that talk about false flags and pundits and others with with hardly an academic approach to the entire issue. So when you look at, let's run down the issues. Let's run down the issues of this attack. This week, an attack in Duma using chlorine gas killed hundreds, injured thousands, with pictures of babies, children, families, frothing at the mouth, clearly victims of what appeared to be a chlorine gas attack. Very few are actually, even the Assad regime, even Russia is not doubting the fact that an attack 
using chemical weapons occurred in Duma last weekend. So, now the question is, is how do we prove who did it? Do we then move into a war by a country that has for so long now become more tired, war fatigued, no longer wanting to spend its treasures and sacrifice our sons and daughters to a war that is not our war? I get that. But the first piece of evidence that I think we need to talk about as Americans is there's a convention signed about the outlawing of chemical weapons that is getting to be 100 years old now. And are we living in an era now, in an era where, by the way, we have more sharing of information than we've ever seen in history, and yet there's so much fake and, and false information that it's making the truth almost no longer discernible. Yes, it's better than at a time when we only had a few media outlets, but now the, the, the Russian bots and the Chinese bots and the, and the uh, um, uh, lack of, of, of academic journalism from citizen journalists, etc., that might expose some truths is being drowned out by just false information. So how do we know what's true? And you saw some pundits this week saying America is being dragged into a false flag operation in order to draw us into a war. How do you prove it? Unequivocally, incontrovertibly, that the chemical weapons attack occurred? Nobody can do that. Even Secretary Mattis said, we're still studying it, but it does appear. President Macron of France said he feels he has enough evidence to confirm that it was done by the Assad regime. Now, who did it? Rational thinkers. Rational thinkers would admit that President Trump said he was leaving Syria. People say, well, that means why would they do it then? The, the Americans were going to be leaving. They have no reason to irritate the West to make them not leave. Well, actually, if you look at the little pinprick, the symbolic attack that we did just a year ago, may have made them feel that, well, even if we get attacked, not much is going to happen. And President Trump said they're leaving, and that was part of his campaign. So now we have a green light to basically do whatever we want. Let's take the little uh, hit that we might in PR, but go ahead and do it, number one. Number two, it may not have been done necessarily by Assad order himself. There were videos that showed Iranian generals laughing about gassing children in that same area from the IRGC, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps. So bottom line is, though, it's Hezbollah, Iran, Esedis, Bathis, they're all part of the exact same oppressive, despotic military that is decimating in a genocidal way the Syrian population. If you look at delivery mechanisms, needs to be dropped in small canisters that explode near impact on the ground, not on the ground, but near impact in a trajectory that has to be done in a certain delivery. And as the ISIS rebels have been reportedly and clearly decimated, how can you not say, how can we say that, well, every time they seem to launch a chemical attack, Russia knows about it ahead of time, um, and they were hiding these chemical weapons where? Nobody knows, and then when they launch them, they launch them against themselves? I mean, listen, Jaish al-Islam, which was basically the main Islamist group in the Duma area, where the rebels were, were holed up, are militants, there's no doubt. But the population attacked by this chemical attack was not the rebels. It was, it was moderate families throughout the city that had, that had been anti-regime, but the only fighters that, among some of the fighters, were Jaysh al-Islam, but also many other groups that nobody knows about. Because the war had gone so far underground, but the revolution continues. So delivery mechanisms are only regime delivery. The attack's chemical weapon source must be governmental source. There's no evidence that there's uh, Islamist, Jaysh al-Islam source of chemical weapons. The victims were the rebels. 
So unless they're committing suicide operations as a false flag, that doesn't make sense. The timing, I think, actually makes more sense after President Trump announced leaving. So every element of it. Now this week they said there's going to be some inspectors on the ground. So be it. Let's see what they find. When we come back, let's talk about a solution in Syria. Why action makes sense. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about military action in Syria. Should the United States begin a war because of one attack, because of a chemical weapons attack that some say we can't even prove? Should a president who campaigned with tweets and, and, and speeches repetitively talking about waste of money, waste of treasure, that he would never enter such a war, now be the person to lead us into that war. So many are calling him two-faced or whatever it might be that somehow President Trump is presenting different things than what he exactly campaigned against. Rand Paul and other non-interventionists, this is what they're saying. Well, first of all, let's talk about solutions. I think it is immoral to continue to allow a deep, deep cancer to spread and say that, well, we don't know what the patient's going to be like afterwards, so we're just going to put him in hospice. And make no mistake, Assad is hospice. There needs to be a firewall, an obstacle put to the continued, the continued wanton destruction of humanity that Assad is doing. And the second interest of the United States in doing something militarily, not symbolically, but crippling. I actually believe that we should completely decapitate their government and it would be appropriate to assassinate President Assad, who has lost any any legitimacy as a leader in Syria. Uh, his elections are a sham. The majority of his people want him ousted while he continues to shoot them in the streets. He is no longer the leader of our government. He doesn't even control most of Syria anymore. So to say that that somehow violates previous conventions that we do not assassinate leaders, uh, he is not a leader. I think that that would allow them to move forward. And this is not my idea. Michael Rubin wrote about it in the Washington Examiner this week and talked about how the simplest way to make Syria move forward is to end Bashar Assad, destroy his palace, destroy where he is. And there's actually words that floating about that Assad may already be in Tehran as the threat of American intervention and Western intervention came forward. He may have fled along with some of his closest family generals. But bottom line is, is that when you look at the results, tyrants in Syria, senior generals that are actually probably the ones making the calls, not Bashar, the ophthalmologist, the 40-plus-year-old the ophthalmologist who probably doesn't understand military strategy uh, more than a... Uh, a thug, 20-year-old uh, thug. But at the end of the day, tyrants in Syria and around the planet are looking to see what the response will be if they can get away with it. We're starting to see the normalization of chemical weapons use. We're starting to see the normalization of weapons of mass destruction with, with uh, uh, Russia deploying an agent that assassinated individuals in London. We saw Kim Jong-un deploying an agent, a chemical agent that assassinated his family member in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia. So, on and on. 
Now, people may say, and, and you could ethically make the argument, it doesn't matter how people are killed, if they're getting barrel bombs and hospitals are being bombed, etc. It doesn't matter if it's with gas or with concrete and, and nails coming out of barrel bombs that kills them. How does one matter versus the other? Well, the Geneva Convention has certain rules, and obviously most of those have been violated by Assad. Nobody seems to care about all of them except the chemical weapons. But let's just take that for instance. There are levels of evil. And it has been determined, and I think it's pretty clear that our troops will be more at jeopardy, that weapons of mass destruction, be it chemical warfare or nuclear warfare, have specific containment strategies that the world will do a lot more to prevent their use because of the jeopardy it could put our soldiers, our sons and daughters, wherever they may be, because of the ability to deploy them and cause a lot more fear and terrorism, if you will. So I think that is in our significant interests that when a chemical weapon is deployed and used repeatedly by a regime, not let alone once, and we know that to be true, to sit by and allow it to continue to happen will put the rest of our troops at jeopardy. Next, solutions. A solution, people want me, you know, they say, oh, you don't know what's going to come next. If, if a radical Islamist group comes next, it's going to be worse. And, and I can tell you that it might be worse. But it might be worse than what Assad looks like on paper. But the reality is, is it can't get worse than Assad. It might be just as bad. But to say that ISIS or, or militant Islamists who uh, uh, are barbarians is any different than the barbarianism of Assad is just absurd. It's insulting. They're both the same. They want they create one another. They're fueled off one another. So the template is not rocket science. The template that we need to put forth, I think, was pretty successful in the mid-90s. The Balkans template. You had a, a regional conflict of civil wars inside Yugoslavia that seemed to, to, to involve multiple sides. There were arguments being made that the, the Bosnian Muslims were also committing atrocities, etc. But the vast majority of rational people said that the vast majority of atrocities were being committed by Milosevic and the Serbian military. And they had some evidence, not, some of which was pretty convincing, a lot of which was not incontrovertible, and yet the world said that the UN, despite Russian disapproval, the UN moved forward to deploy UN protection forces, and UNPROFOR began to have a slowly increasing presence, and by the way, many of them were injured and killed as they tried to maintain the peace in Bosnia, Herzegovina, Kosovo, and Serbia. And yet they were protected by a no-fly zone that constantly increased until finally the Serbian military was destroyed. And Yugoslavia was no longer and it was divided up. Should Syria be divided up? I don't think that's the best answer. I think a federalized Syria with a diverse population will much more force them to seek a diverse ideological approach, a more secular approach, a less theocratic approach, a less a non-Islamist but a non-Arab fascist approach through a liberal Syrian nationalism. But that's way down the road. The first step, I think, is the Balkan-type response with the UN, not the United States, not our military. Yes, we participate. And that's why this coalition that the president is leading, it appears that he's going to get Britain and France to participate. And I think even we should look at Arab forces, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, Dubai, the Emirates, etc., involved in a coalition to punish, if not cripple, the Assad regime so that they understand there will be a high price, as President Trump said, a high price to pay for the type of of evil he brought upon the Syrian people. And it's not just about one attack. That's the other thing. You look strategically. This is the culmination of years of hell raining down on the Syrian people in which 
hospitals were directly targeted based on Stalinesque approach in which doctors have become targets. Speak to the Syrian American Medical Society and others in the United States that have been involved in deploying physicians in that area to help. You have members of Congress now that I heard, or state reps and uh, crazy nutcase Congress people like Tulsi Gabbard that are talking about uh, Assad as being the only salvation for Syria. She traveled to Syria uh, uh, on the dime of Assadist trolls. And you have members, politicians, talking about the White Helmets who are predominantly a humanitarian organization that has done angelic work in Syria. This is not to say that every one of them uh, is, is not compromised. There might be some that are, but at the end of the day, they have helped both sides. They've helped families regardless of their affiliation. And they've gone into buildings that people are running out of in Syria that are about to collapse. So there is a solution. We can move forward through a coalition. This does not mean another deployment of, of thousands upon thousands of American military. Uh, it will cost us some, but I believe that the return on investment that so many people rightly ask about is that our ally Israel will, will not be surrounded by Iranian missiles, will not be surrounded by Hezbollah terror groups into Lebanon and Syria on every one of its borders. And that ultimately that price is less than what could happen if an empowered Iran bolstered by an empowered Russia with its base on the Mediterranean, which will probably stay there in Tartus, ultimately then starts to really knock on Israel's door. So you could pay now, pay later. I think that ultimately this conflict, I mean, look at the Obama strategy. It was to do nothing for seven years. Look what that got us. Look at how much deterrence doing nothing got us. So at what point do we keep moving back? This is no different than the 30s in Europe. Russia on the borders of Europe is pushing every button it can to increase its hegemonic influence. Now more so in the Middle East as Putin sees himself as a czar there. Are we going to remain unanswering that or are we going to push back and tell them this is the line you will not cross? And the humanitarian disasters will no longer be tolerated. Today's world, we are going to put the tyrants on notice. I think that's an American interest. The butcher of Damascus needs to be put on notice. The tests of the values of free world, I think, are being challenged right now. 70% of the world lives under tyranny. Most of that is Russia, China, and the Islamic world. And if the Islamic world is going to evolve, evolve into democracy, what is that pathway? When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the evolution to democracy. Is that possible or is it a pipe dream? Is it nonsense? This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Statistics show that it is more safe, you will save more lives when people have guns. Not less safe if you lose your right to defend yourself in significant and meaningful ways. The government will do what all governments always do, and that is steamroll over people. So that's our debate. That's our reason for standing up for the Second Amendment. The Glenn Beck Program. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. We're talking about Syria. The most common question I get is, this is a waste of time. Why should we do anything? Let them kill each other. And, and that, as much as it hurts my heart to hear that, you hear that, well, both sides are bad, so if they all die, it's not a big deal. You really, if, if that's what you believe, you really have no understanding. You don't know anybody on the ground. It's like having your sons and daughters come back from war 
and then having people tell you when your sons and daughters tell you exactly what was happening in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Iraq, where they were, and yet other people who've never been there tell you what's happening on the ground there. And I can tell you with family on the ground in Syria, not soldiers, not fighting a war, simply trying to survive that the majority of those being decimated, bombed, and pummeled with rain of hell coming down from the skies are normal families in Syria. Muslim, Sunni, Shia, Alawite, Christian, of all faiths, all sects. Those are the people being primarily pummeled. The regime is not focusing 90 plus percent of its focus on ISIS and Jishad Islam and the Islamists and the rebels. No. It is destroying the will, if not marginalizing, so that they will have an ethnic cleansing of the Sunnis out of Syria so that he can change the dynamic, the demographic of population in Syria so that it becomes a Shia-predominant country run by Iran, colonized by Iran, and part of the Russian axis with Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria in the Shia crescent. That's the goal. And to say that genocide is not part of it, go to Genocide Syria and look at that website, genocidesyria.org. Uh, it has a chronicling of, of, of war crimes and other things. There's so many websites out there that have a reality of what's been happening in Syria. But, you know, I hear this, let them kill each other. You're ignoring the reality of who's dying. And the next thing is, how do we forget our own history? Our own history in the West, we didn't go from theocracy to Jeffersonian democracy with no bloodshed. That transition didn't happen through one war. That transition didn't happen from A to Z with no steps in between. That transition didn't happen by A being worse than B, B being better than A, C being better than B, D being better than C. It didn't always get better. So... I can tell you that the evolution of a population, sometimes it must dabble in each type of society until it realizes how evil each type is. The Iranian revolution was a theocratic Islamic revolution that Khomeini launched from Paris with cassettes being pumped into, into Tehran and into the rest of the cities in Iran. And he displaced through thousands upon thousands in the streets the Shah. The Shah was a tyrant. The Shah was in many ways benevolent in some ways, had free uh, um, dress, free uh, institutions and in some things, but in other things was not only monarchical, but autocratic and kleptocratic and dissidence was not tolerated. So free speech was definitely not part of the Shah's reign. Free markets, perhaps. There was definitely more than the socialist theocratic Sharia finance system that's oppressive of the Khomeinis. The Khomeinis were definitely hundreds of years of steps backwards into theocracy. But the bottom line is, is we saw the same thing with the Palestinians. The Fatah, secular militants, ended up giving way because of their corruption to an election of an Islamic rule of Hamas, which was worse. And they're both two sides of the same terror coin of Fatah and Hamas. But each of these countries, peoples, have struggled with more than a binary. And we can't seem to look at these societies the way we look at our own history in France and Britain and in the U.S., where you realize that there were not binaries, there was an evolution. So what I wanted to end with today was, was for you to just open your mind a little bit and look at the reality of the human condition. Even American founding fathers that fought a revolution against the Church of England and did so as a byproduct of a few hundred years in the late 18th century, a few hundred years after the early 16th century when 8 million people died in the religious wars of the 30 years war. So if that enlightenment became the, the founding soil that fertilized the American Revolution and the French Revolution, and even with that, our own American Revolution legalized slavery 
because that was part of their corrupt understanding of their own white race. That doesn't make American history useless. The Jeffersonian democracy has stood the test of time as being the best system on this planet. But it did make our civil war a necessary transition and evolution to a better society in which slavery was defeated. And then we needed 100 years later a civil rights movement to even begin to marginalize the bigotry against the black community that still existed and still exists in some level in the United States. So the ills of society as they get exposed will evolve, modernize, and usually the evil will, will, will weather away and the good will rise. But not all the time. Sometimes it'll get worse. And in Iran, we've seen with the Green Revolution, it's starting to gain power. The last marches in the street in January of this year we're about fighting theocracy in Qom and other major theological cities where the universities are because they are starting to hone in their target not just on the government but on the theocracy, on the theologians that are driving the Supreme Council and control of the fetwas and the religious rulings that are the Iranian Islamic State. So, societies not only revolt but they evolve. And those revolutions need iterations 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, I may even need 9.0. So as we see the evil of Assad, he's a cancer that will continue to produce the dregs of humanity until his whole Ba'ath party is destroyed. It has been attempted to be in a civil war destroyed, but it's not a civil war. So America, I think... The free world needs to be responsible to push out the influence of Russia and Iran and let it be a real civil war and make sure that crimes against humanity are punished and no longer done. And let them own their own country. And then if something worse comes, we continue to hold them accountable. In Egypt, the Brotherhood came and then 10 million people went to the streets in Revolution 2.0 now, unfortunately, the third government, El-Sisi's, took over by a coup and set back the clock again to 20th century Arab military rule in Egypt with their deep state, where the deep state originated, which is the Egyptian term for their military economy that's separate. So, I just don't understand how people don't see the analogies in your own life with the maturation of your children, maturation of neighborhoods, schools, whatever it might be, people evolve through conflict, through divorces, through, through gangs, whatever it might be. Nations evolve. Sometimes they get into rehab, get sicker, get on the verge of death, and then come back. Eventually, I believe the goodness of mankind, men and women, will come together to form peaceful democratic states. But the only thing stopping them would be a conspiracy of a Game of Thrones in which we use the 20th century mantras of picking the leaders that we think cause the least evil. But when we maintain them in power, their people can never choose to evolve, to mature, and to modernize. It is not our choice to make if you truly believe in independent thought. And yes, people say, oh, it's the neocons that want to impose Western society. We should just let them alone. Seriously? Syrians are being let alone? If that was true, I wouldn't want the United States doing anything there. But nobody's standing up for values, for morality. And we're letting the Russians and Iranians do the most evil thing to the Syrian people possible under the tools of the Assad regime. So nobody is saying to impose American values, but allow these people to grow and mature with their own yearnings, their own dreams, not with our treasure. No, we need to do the minimum necessary. We went and broke Iraq in 2003, I think, in what was a moral war, but we can have that debate. But the bottom line was a very different time. There was no Arab awakening. There was no indigenous revolution. There was no people that wanted to uproot and have a movement, a social, cultural, 
revolutionary movement to displace Saddam. So we ended up having to deploy hundreds of thousands of troops to stabilize that country. In Syria, yes, it's chaos, but we will not need the the presence on the ground for movements in that society to, to fill in the vacuum that Assad will leave. And yes, Iran has been a hell for the last 30 plus years since 79. But the Green Revolution now will never let them go back if it ever comes back to power where they defeat the Khomeinists. They realize, Iranians realize that the atheism rate, the conversion to atheism in Iran is the highest of any country in the world. The theocrats are losing or hemorrhaging people from Islam left and right. Theocracy is the worst system. So humanity will find its path towards freedom towards democracy. I think there are some mechanisms that we, some responsibilities we have in the world as evil military generals exert final solution type options to their people. It is in our interests, especially when the country involved is on the border of Israel and weapons of mass destruction are used. And strategically, the last comment I want to make to you, strategically, you can look short-term and continue this whack-a-mole because as you get rid of ISIS, will come Deji al-Islam, will come Al-Qaeda, will come another caliphate movement as long as there's military dictators. Because not only do you have to defeat Islamism, which is, we're, which is what we're working on in the American Islamic Forum, but you also have to, have to defeat Arab nationalism. German nationalism created the Hitler phenomena that ultimately created the Holocaust and, and the, the worst plague in Europe in the last in known history. Arab nationalism of Nasser, of Saddam Hussein, of Bashar, Hafiz, Assad, that Arab nationalism is also a plague on their humanity. So we will have to, I believe, the Syrians first, have to defeat both fascisms. And I think we need to find, as small as those groups are, those on the ground that believe and share our values. They might be hard to find, but we need to keep believing that they exist. Because if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that, we will end up, at some point anyway, fighting those countries. Because they will, when they have enough power, try to put Israel into the sea. They will, when they have enough power, create strife and war and conflict in Europe as Turkey wants its caliphate, as the Brotherhood wants to get power, as the Wahhabis want power in Saudi Arabia, on and on. We'll see what happens. As I tape this, Iran is saber-rattling against the United States. As I tape this, America has not launched a response yet with France and Britain, but we'll see. We'll see if it comes, when it comes. They may be waiting now for the investigators to begin to render some opinions about what actually happened in Duma. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for being with me this week. God bless you. We'll talk next week. Bye-bye. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.